You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Happy Friday. Welcome into Good Morning Lambeau. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Text us, 865-658-5824. Rolling solo as of right now. We have may have Emilio hop on here in a minute. He's got some stuff he's got to take care of, but um, we'll just kind of dive into some Packers talk. Hope everybody is having an awesome morning. I see Manoa in the house. Good to see you in here, pal. Um, we're going to talk a little, a little bit of everything, really. We're going to talk a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of current players on the roster. We're going to talk a little draft. Um, we've got some RAS numbers that Math Bomb put out on Twitter. Done an excellent job last night, yesterday, uh, going through each team and kind of laying out their last three or four draft classes and the RAS scores attached to those. And, and for those of you who may not be familiar with RAS, essentially what RAS stands for is Relative Athletic Score. And what Math Bomb has done is basically taken all the numbers, put them into the system, and compared, you know, height, weight, shuttle, 40-yard dash, bench press, all these different metrics, right, on each individual player. And he's compared them in a database amongst players all the way back to the 80s. And it kind of puts things into a percentile, right? It kind of gives you an idea of where do these players match up physically with that specific position. Everything is specific to each position, Right. And, and it kind of it lets you know, all right, what is their relative at, relative athletic score compared to every other player that's played that position that's come out of the draft or into the draft, I should say, you know, like I said, since the 80s. So it's a really, really cool tool. You know, we always refer to Goody leaning on RAS a lot, and we always try to throw out the caveat or, or the, the insert there that it's not specifically RAS that he's keyed in on, right? But I'm sure they've got their own athletic score that they attach to these players. And they really, really, really key in on a certain style of player, right? Like we heard Ted Thompson talk about it on a past documentary that we played on here where he said we've got a certain build, a certain size to each position. It's the same exact thing, right? Um, It's just, like I said, Math Bomb has done a good job putting everything into the database in that regard. I want to kind of hop back real quick on the Halfley talk. I had a lot of people message me after the show last night going, hey, you know, there was two people specifically. Uh, One was named Joe, I think it was Joseph, uh, said, Clayton, do you think essentially what he was asking was, do you think this is all smoke and mirrors? Do you think things will actually change with the scheme? And and my answer to that and to him, and and the reason I'm going to answer it here on the air is because I'm sure there's other people wondering the same thing. My personal opinion, listen, I don't know everything, but I think it will change. I just don't think it'll change as dramatic as some fans are expecting it to. Right. And and really just like relative athletic score, you got to kind of compare apples to apples. You know, you can't look at a college coach and go, man, he played with this specific type of scheme, this amount of man coverage. I mean, you heard it straight from Halfley's mouth. They were going up against quarterbacks every single week that they were a threat to run. They were, they would be willing to run on any down and not necessarily just scrambling out of the pocket, but like, designed quarterback runs, you've got to attack that defensive mindset totally different than the way you're going to attack in the NFL, right? So um, now what you got to do is kind of look at the way I compare, you know, schemes, and and I'm really big into schemes. I love trying to understand the direction in which the NFL is going each and every year. you got to kind of determine, all right, which one, where's the ceiling at in every single category and where's the floor at in every single category? You're going to fall somewhere in between there. It's, It's going to be very, very, very rare that a team, a coaching staff, a scheme, 
will actually exceed that ceiling that that's been set here recently or, you know, go lower than that floor that's been set. And I, I want to mention that because it's very, very important to set proper expectations. And we've talked about it over and over on the show. And, and I know some people don't want to hear it because, you you know, people who want a more aggressive defense, they they just I don't care hell or high water. I just want more blitzing, more blitzing, more man coverage, more press man, right? And and it, it really doesn't operate that way. Every defense has got a strength and a weakness, right? You know, every a three four has a strength versus a four three. You know, and, and, and you know a three four has its strength and its weakness. A four three has its strength and its weakness. The same thing with man coverage. Man coverage has has a strength. Man coverage has a weakness. Uh, you know, cover two man or what we refer to as two man under. It has a strength. It has a weakness. On and on and on. Cover three, cover two, cover three match. All these different, uh, you know, styles of defense. They've got strengths and weaknesses. So when we look at what the Packers did last year, like I said before, twenty-three percent man is what they played last year. And to answer Joseph's message there, the answer is yes. I expect the man coverage to go up. The question is how much. Now, if you go to the Atlanta Falcons, they ran the most man coverage last year at 40%. And I want you to really key in on that middle. Let's, let's just focus man zone for a second. Man, 23% for the Packers. That was 21st most in the league, right? We played zone 63% of the time. That was 12th most. Most people would say we play too much zone. There were still, you know, like I said, 11 other teams that played more zone than us, right? Now, when you key in on the EPA, this is what gets you excited. When you look at the EPA, which is expected points added, okay, and that's, you know, basically per player, then they tally that up and they come up with the total on the year, and that's how they rank these. EPA isn't everything, okay? And what I mean by that is you can have an high, a high EPA and still give up a lot of explosives if it's one or two people that are kind of screwing the pooch, right? That's why it's important to find a balance. But we ran it, the man coverage 23% of the time, but our EPA was fourth. But we showed you all year long on the tape and on Chalk Talk, our, the, the large majority of the explosives came from playing man coverage, right? So you gotta you got to kind of take that into consideration. Okay, yeah, the players are playing better in man coverage. They got higher EPAs, yet we're giving up more explosives. What's more important, right? And it's, it's all about finding that balance. So I expect that 23%. I think a good guess of the amount of man coverage that the Packers will play, that 23 is going to go up significantly. My guess is it would be if, – if I had to really narrow it down, I would say between 30 and 35%. Now, they may still come in under 30. I don't want people to freak out. You know, don't, don't, don't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe they lied to us. That's still a significant increase. And you've got to look at the room. You've got to look at the, at, the, at the defensive room and go, okay, what can these guys do? What can they do best? You know, it's easy to just say, well, Joe Barry didn't know how to use them. We know – over and over and over, Matt LaFleur talked about being involved with the defense, right? So it, it's easy to make one guy the scapegoat, but Matt was making those decisions. I think he's still going to be involved when it comes to Halfley. I hope he turns the reins over to Halfley a lot more so Matt can key more in on offense and let Halfley just kind of be the, the quote-unquote head coach of the defense, right? That would be awesome. Um, but I'm expecting somewhere between 30 and 35%. And what's that mean? It means your zone coverage is going to go down. It also means – you're basically bringing back the same roster as it sits right now. Are those explosives going to continue to happen? That's where I think we're going to see a little bit of an improvement too, is Jeff Halfley from everyone I've spoken to that I respect a ton and listening to former players that played for him. He's kind of the DB whisperer, right? So I think our defensive backs are going to play better. I really do. So if we can play more man coverage and somehow some way reduce the amount of explosives, then I think that's a great recipe for success in 2024 when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. I've got the explosives graphic here, too, just to kind of give you guys an idea. When we go to the explosives, you know, let's think of Atlanta, right? Atlanta, they played man coverage the most, didn't they? Well, they played man coverage the most. They gave up 40 explosive plays on the ground, which means uh, runs of 12 yards or more. They gave up 54 explosive passes in the passing game, which is passing plays of 20 yards or more. And they totaled 94, okay, 94 total explosive plays on the year, okay? So explosive per play was 8.4% roughly, all right? So you can kind of see how that that kind of trickles down there. Five point, they were averaging 5.5 explosive plays per game. If you go down to Green Bay, they gave up 58 explosive plays through the air, okay? 
So again, you hop up to Atlanta, 54. So we gave up four more explosive plays through the air than Atlanta did, and Atlanta played the majority of man coverage. The second most man coverage team, I think, was Dallas, if I remember correctly. Now you go up to Dallas, you find them. They only gave up 47 explosive plays in the air, right? But look at their explosives on the ground at 43. To compare that to Green Bay, we gave up 47. So we're right there in the same ballpark as far as running plays, as far as explosive plays and running plays. Um, just to kind of give you an idea of, of how the explosives tie into these man coverage heavy teams. Now, many people were saying this is going to be more like the New York Jets defense uh, as far as scheme goes, more like the 49ers, maybe more a little more like Houston because D'Amico Ryans left the 49ers and went to Houston. So those are the three teams that you really want to kind of key in on. Now, listen, you know, the old Belichick quote, players win them and coaches lose them, right? You know, the old uh, – uh, gosh, what was his name? Pat Kerwin. The old Pat Kerwin saying from take your eye off the ball. Um, when the game's on the line, think play or not play. It's going to come down to who are the players on the roster, right? And and that's where I differed with a lot of Packer fans last year. When I would watch the tape, I didn't find myself going, man, this scheme's a mess. I found myself going, what the hell's that guy doing? <laughs> and that's where they would mention communication and the fans would get mad and just say it's an excuse. No, Joe Barry sucks. We need him out of here. Yes, it's his job to, to get those guys communicating. There's no doubt about it. But I'm still a little concerned with, okay, are these players going to be able to up their game as far as reducing the explosive plays, which is really going to mean reducing the blown coverage, reducing the miscommunication, and reducing the missed tackles? Because that was the majority of the explosive plays on defense. It was rare that you were like, man, that dude didn't have anywhere near him. But there was many times you've seen two or three guys missing tackles. Right. And that's where I think Coach Campanelli coming in and coaching the linebackers is going to help. I think bringing in uh, Ashley from um, from uh, L.A. I think that's his name, Ashley. It's, it's, I've, I've talked about so many coaches now. I can't remember who's who. The defensive coordinator came in from uh, obviously from uh, the L.A. Chargers and is going to be the new defensive backs coach. That could be huge. Right. I think he's the passing game coordinator, too, if I remember correctly. That could be huge helping these guys, you know, tackle. Let's hope that he can up the up the tackling ability for the DBs. Those are the things that are really going to matter on the field. And, and when it comes down to it, and it's kind of what Halfley talked about too, is like defenses, there's only so many different types of defense you can run. It's how good, how, how well can you uh, execute that defensive game plan. And the big thing too is like, like he said, putting his players in a position to win. If someone can play press man, let them play press man. Immediately people think that's Jair Alexander. Guys, Jair Alexander has said over and over and over, he wants to play off the ball. That's what he's more comfortable doing. Now, we'll ha- we'll, we'll happily try to force him to play closer to the ball, maybe, you know. Um, it, it may be something, too, where he gives them the freedom. That's that's another thing that happens across the league that I think some fans just think it's only Joe Barry that does that. There's many D.C.s across the league that give their players freedom to line up where they want to line up. Do I like that? I don't. I, I would rather a DC go, no, you're going to do it here. You're going to play in this exact spot. That way we know exactly where you're at rather than in the moment you might get, you, know, you might see a ghost on defense play off when you should be playing tight. I think it's important to, re- that's one way you can reduce the miscommunication is know exactly where the players are going to line up at all times. I think that could be absolutely huge. Um, again, we got Mano in the chat, David Mitchell. Good to see you, buddy. Josh in here. Um, see what Josh has to say. He says, good morning, everybody. Super pumped for next year after listening to the press conferences yesterday. Here we go. Go, Pat, go. I love it, man. I ain't got no help in here. Or we'd hit that sound bot right now. Let me see if I can get to it quick without slowing us down too much. I think we can. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I think I think it's exciting going into the year, man. And it, I don't know about you guys, but I get more excited about the, the backstretch of the offseason and the first half of the season than I do really the back half. Because it's like it's all the unknowns. And it's like this little game that I play every year of trying to understand exactly what the Packers are going to be doing. And and when you get it right, it's like, yes, I got it right. And when you get it wrong, it's like, okay, let me back up. What did I miss here? Right. And you could you can kind of learn from the whole situation. That's that's the joy I get out of the offseason, especially the back half of the offseason. What I mean by back half of the offseason is really, you know, you get to a, a couple weeks before the draft. And then going into training camp and trying to trying to understand, okay, they drafted this piece, they drafted that piece. What are they thinking? Why did they take that guy? Is that a tip of the hand for what they're going to do schematically? And then you get into training camp and comb through all the 
all the reporters training camp updates and try to figure out, okay, what, what exactly are they doing here? Many times they'll mention there's this many defensive linemen on the field. There's this many linebackers on the field. You know, Carl Brooks flashed last year in camp. If you guys remember, I think he's going to be an absolute superstar. I want to see him get more snaps this year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited too, Josh, no doubt. Uh, we got reef in the house. Good to see you, buddy. Fractal of God in here. Randall Cleavers. Uh, let's see William Gould in the house. What's up, man? Um, I agree, man. William says love the DC press conference, but now we got to get him some hitters. Exactly. We got to, we got to kind of revamp that defense just a touch. No doubt about it, man. Ron Samble says Jordan Fuller, a possibility only a 68 PFF. I think there's, I think there probably will be a couple players that are signed, Ron. Seems like every year, even in season, we go, who the heck's that? Didn't see that one coming. And sometimes they contribute. I'll tell you one was Rudy Ford. You guys remember, I can't even remember the guy's name, but there was there was a player, it's escaping me right now, he was like the camp darling, and he ended up making the team, and we were all excited, and 24 hours later he was cut because they brought in Rudy Ford. And I remember thinking, man, I was really excited about that guy. And then Rudy Ford becomes one of my favorite players, right? That's another guy. Could they potentially bring back Rudy? Rudy, is, Rudy was a stud in the passing game. And Wildy said something yesterday um, on his show. I think it was yesterday. He said that on – Darnell Savage's exit interview, he told him he wasn't happy with how they used him last year. So think about that. So immediately you got to hit timeout. How did they use him? If he was unhappy with how they used him, how did they use him? A large, large, large majority of the time, they were playing two high shell pre-snap. When the ball was snapped, they would rotate to a single high look. And Savage was the guy that was playing rat. He was rotating into into the underneath coverage. He would play what we call rat in zone, or he would play a mid zone that we call robber, right? Cover one robber. So if he didn't like that, then what's that suggest? If they do bring him back, maybe he's going to be that single high safety, you know? Maybe the year before he liked it when they played him in the slot. I don't know, right? That could be a potential there to create competition for uh, Keyshawn Nixon. It's also very possible that they let him test the market and uh, and he gets a, a, much, a much greater offer than the Packers are willing to give, and he walks, right? Um, I, I like I like Darnell Savage back, Savage back to see what he can do in this defense to the tune of somewhere between four to five million. Now, if you want to extend that to three years, a little bit extra guaranteed, where you can still get out of the back end of that contract, that might be the better offer for him. More guaranteed money up front and uh, a little more security that could be the case. But yeah, as far as Jordan Fuller, man, I think anybody anybody could uh could pop on there. It is Jared got it. Micah Abernathy. I was really excited about that guy, Jared. I was fired up, man. Um, but uh, again, it, 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 you forget about him real quick, and Rudy Ford comes in and kind of leads the leads the team in interceptions. There seemed like he 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 was just the turnover machine. Had two, I think he had two in one game there against Dallas, if I remember correctly, last year. Um, maybe I'm building him up too much. Maybe it wasn't two against Dallas, uh, not last year, but uh, 2022 is what I'm referring to. But uh, yeah, I tend to do that from time to time in the in the moment. Let's see, uh, David Mitchell in the chat said hitters, tacklers, and ball snaggers. I, Preach, preach, brother. <laughs> no doubt. Ron says, uh, exciting uh, exciting to watch them build the defense. Who and why each player is added. Absolutely, man. And, and that's the big thing is just understanding, right, trying to understand why they're doing it. Um, that's the big thing. Uh, let's see here. Chris in the chat says, good morning, Posse, and happy Friday. I had to look down. I seen it was Friday. I was like, all right, let's go, dude. It's Friday already. That's what I'm talking about. Get the weekend started. Get something on that on that smoker, right? Um, I don't know what you got, what your plans are. It's warming up a little bit down here in Tennessee. I mean, it, it'll warm up, cool down, warm up, cool down. That's why my voice is the way it is right now. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think next week we're expected to be in the 60s all week. I think Green Bay was a lot warmer uh, this week, so maybe maybe it's smoker season already, man. Get some ribs out there on that thing. Tell you something else, I'm excited about too to bridge the gap in March is the UFL is cranking up, right? The new the new league that's merged between XFL and USFL. I think it's called the United Football League. I personally like that stuff. I know people dog it. I love having that on the background while we're smoking some ribs or something in the spring, man. The fact that we get football year round and some of those guys can, can you know, try to extend their football career and make it to the NFL, um, you know, much like our boy did there, uh, Mr. Magoo, right? He's on the practice squad all year for the Packers. He he won MVP of, of the USFL last year. It's just fun to kind of see some of those players that couldn't make it in the NFL continue their career and keep clawing and fighting to try to get back on a practice squad and then get their opportunity. You never know what's going to happen, but I'm excited about spring football for sure. Um, all right, let's see. There's something else I was going to hit real quick um, before we get into some videos. 
Where is it at up here? Let me get back to my screen. Oh, yeah, Zach Tom. This was pretty cool. Um, PFF Green Bay Packers tweeted out at PFF underscore Packers said, Zach Tom, a blue chip player on the Packers offense with the rising stock emoji. So in 2022, his PFF grade was 68.3, right? That was his rookie year. You guys hear me say all the time on this podcast, if a rookie player grades out in the 60s, it's a good sign they're going to be a good NFL player. If you can hold your own in the 60s, more times than not, their next year, you see them rising to the 70s and the 80s. And, and it's just a great kind of, kind of uh, I don't know, just kind of measuring mark, if you will. Um, that's why I was excited about Lucas Van Ness for the most part throughout the year. I don't know where he finished, but it seemed like every week he was grading out somewhere in the 60s. Somewhere in the 60s, I'm going, all right, we got us something here. Uh, you know, now there's some players that doesn't really apply to, like, Think of Eric Stokes. He graded out in the 60s. We were all excited about him. Then the next year, graded out in the 50s. This year, graded out in the 50s. Battled injuries, I got it. But still grading out in the 50s, kind of took a step back. I think Jair was another one, if I remember correctly, his rookie year. I think he – I want to say he graded out in the 60s. If I had a co-host, I'd look it up right now, but I I don't want to keep you guys tied up with dead time. I'm pretty sure he graded out in the 60s, then bang, he took that big jump. You see here with Zach Tom, 2022, 68.3. 2023, jumps right to an 80.3. An absolute stud at right tackle. Great run blocker, too, man. We need better run blocking on this offensive line. That's why we keep talking about left tackle. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Left tackle primarily, yes. The goal is to pass block, no doubt about it. But if you can get someone who can run block like David Bakhtiari did all those years, that's when you've seen Aaron Jones at his best, especially running left. Running left behind Elton Jenkins and Bakhtiari was just an absolute dream, right? So Rasheed Walker is one of the one of the worst starting tackles, starting left tackles at run blocking. Really good pass blocker. What else can you ask for out of a seventh-round pick, though, right? Like – I mean, I, I, that's, I'm not saying that the dog Rashid, I think Goody absolutely knocked that pick out of the park. But if the right guy falls to you at 25 or even in the second round that you upgrade left tackle and now Rashid Walker is your swing tackle, holy cow. Now you're cooking, for, cooking with Crisco, man. Like you can, you can literally sponsor the show, Crisco. Um, you can literally, if a tackle goes down, God forbid, right? If a tackle goes down hurt, then Rashid Walker plugs in. Like you feel a lot better about that than having like a, you know, Luke Tenuta or and you know not the dog those guys, but I mean they're backups for a reason, right? So I think it's important to continue to build depth there, and and it you know it's something that Goody's done over and over and over is 
these tier one positions, right? These tier one positions, they're going to constantly, um, what I mean by tier one positions of importance is left tackle is a tier one position, right? It's, it's what they refer to as a premier position. I've got tier one and tier two is how I've got them listed. Left tackle, tier one, quarterback, tier one, okay? Center, tier two. There's no other tier two positions, in my opinion, on offense. Came a hair of putting tight end in there because you see some of the better teams have really good tight ends. And, and this will change over years, too, as the league becomes cyclical. But left tackle has been locked in for a long time. I was on the verge of saying, you know, is center more important than left tackle? I really got to that point. And, and you talk to any quarterback and any offensive coordinator, they say the most important pressure to control is up the middle. Let them rush by you on the outside, right? That would lead you to believe, okay, well, it's probably more important to have guards and centers. That's not the case. I've talked to multiple offensive line coaches, and they're like, no, nah, left tackle still. You've got to protect that blind side of the quarterback. So um, it's important to talk to people who are within the game at all levels to keep your fandom in check. I have to do that all the time, all the time. When I get to the point where I feel like, man, this feels like an extreme thought I'm having here, but I've got this, this, and this that justifies it. I'll go talk to someone who's in and around the game of football and just have them slap me around a little bit and go, now, Clayton, this is what you're overlooking. Your emotions are getting a hold of you. So, but anyway, I'm excited about Zach Tom, man. I think it's going to be uh, going to be a lot of fun, man, to see him uh, continue to progress. He's been durable, um, very athletic. Again, you got to give Ryan Ryan Schlipp kudos to that, man. That dude just knocked that one out of the park. He called that one from the get go. Um, really, really cool there. So, all right, let's do this. Let's go to um, a video that we started yesterday, and this is a uh, former NFL scout Daniel Jeremiah. And he was kind of breaking down the scouting process, right? And we, we heard him talk about quarterbacks. We heard him talk about wide receivers. I think the the uh, the video ended with him talking about, you know, speed is more important for cornerback than wide receiver. If a wide receiver runs a 4-6-40, the DB has to match that speed. So you can still create separation. If a wide receiver runs a 4-3-40 and the DB runs a 4-5-40, there's nothing he can do. That guy's just faster than him, right? And that's why they put a higher premium on speed at cornerback. Now we're going to talk a little bit about offensive line. I'll let this play through. I may pause it from time to time and just make a comment, but I think it's really important. You know what I was just saying? When your emotions kind of get the best of you, right, as a fan, you you immediately need to stop, call a timeout, and go, okay, who around the game has better information than me, more experience than me, and let's see if I can get a little bit better grounded. I love listening to Daniel Jeremiah, who works for the NFL Network now but was a former NFL scout, He's talked about all the time that goes into scouting these players. This time of the year, I love getting his take because it's like, okay, as we're going into the draft process, let's get let's get well grounded here, right? Let's get brought back down to earth, and you know, forget our spreadsheet. Everybody likes to poke around their spreadsheets. Nah, man, I'm I've got this figured out. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's stop for a second and listen to a former scout kind of break it down and get a refresher for the draft. But here we go, Daniel Jeremiah. You can find this on NFL.com. It's a free video. Um, really, really cool setup here. He's uh, he's kind of highlighting the Microsoft Surface tablet, which I've got one. They are absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's see what the uh, former scout has to say now. I think we're going to get into offensive line and how the 40-yard dash doesn't really matter for offensive line, but some of those 10-yard measurements really do. So the 40 matters for the corners more than any other position. If you take offensive linemen and defensive linemen, it's going to be the 10 time. So they're going to run the full 40 yards. But scouts, when we get in the meeting, we're going to care more about what they clocked in that 10 time because we're not going to ask offensive linemen to run 40 yards down the field. Wide receivers, the three-cone drill, that time is going to represent how loose and fluid they are. I've always been a big believer in the vertical and the broad jump when it comes to pass rushers. How high you jump, how far you jump, goes a long way in explaining what type of juice you have in your body, what type of athleticism, what type of explosiveness do you possess? You watch a guy jump up, you watch a guy jump out, you'll find out. Oh my gosh. One of the coolest things I saw at the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine was Anthony. I want to say this real quick. When you see offensive linemen doing the vertical jump, this is something that I learned from Pat Kerwin reading his book. People say it and go, why, why do you need an offensive lineman to jump like that? What in the world is purposes that serve it's called explosion they have these explosion grades that they create based off of specific measurements that's why it's important how high someone can jump will give you a good gauge of the explosiveness in their legs and we all know that playing offensive line firing off the ball starts with that explosion in your legs right i just wanted to mention that because for the longest time i was one of those guys going why the hell they got these big guys jumping who cares that's why richardson's workout we're in a 4-4-3 
at 244 pounds. Not saying that that's incredible. I'm saying it's never been done before. We've never seen a quarterback at that size run at that speed. And just for fun, let's go ahead and jump over 40 inches as well. No big deal. And then after that's over, after our, everyone's jaw is on the floor, he goes out on the field and had a really solid throwing session as well, including a couple beautiful deep balls. You could not do more to help yourself than Anthony Richardson did during the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine. Another big player at the NFL Scouting Combine is actually not an athlete, it's technology. Thanks to Microsoft's longtime partnership with the NFL, its technology has become an integral part of NFL team scouting and combine operations. Microsoft developed a proprietary NFL Scouting Combine app that gives scouts and team personnel instantaneous access to the results of each combine drill on their Microsoft Surface tablets. Anytime a prospect completes a drill, Combine staff inputs the results into the app for all scouts to see immediately on their tablets. This gives them the ability to analyze and compare the results across the entire prospect pool in real time. If there are specific prospects scouts are paying particular attention to, they can create watch lists and drill down to specific statistical splits from the results. Arguably the most important part of the NFL scouting combine is not what you see on television. It's what takes place in the other portion of the day. First of all, starting with the medicals. Nothing will move a player on or off your draft board faster than the physical. You've got to find out if they're okay physically. The other aspect is the interview process, getting to know them as people, getting to know them as leaders, getting to know them as workers. Most teams will put on their college video ask them to explain what they were doing on a particular play. If you're on offense, you're a quarterback. We're gonna put a play up there. It's, it's an interception that you threw in week three against TCU. Explain to me why you made the decision you did. What was the play call? What was the coverage? What was the mistake? The guys that have incredible recall and, and plays that they have no idea are coming tend to be the best players. It shows you that they cared that they remembered the play because they studied leading up to that game. They studied their performance in that game. It shows a level of dedication. Another aspect of the combine is these players get a chance to speak in front of the media. And some players are gonna have to answer some tough questions in this environment. Some might be playing for small town colleges and the next thing you know, you're gonna drop them in, in New York or you're gonna drop them in Los Angeles in monster media markets where there's gonna be a lot of scrutiny and they're gonna to have to be able to handle themselves in front of the press. The NFL Scouting Combine, there's gonna be 300 plus players that get invited. That means there's several other players who are draft worthy who aren't gonna get a chance to work out there in Indianapolis. Their time's gonna come at their school's pro day. So every school is gonna put on a workout for scouts to come in and see. It's gonna be coordinated with the other colleges in the area. This is an opportunity for every draft eligible player at that school to get tested. The exact same testing you'll see at the combine with the 40 and vertical jumps and shuttle drills. It's also another opportunity to talk to coaches, to talk to trainers, to talk to strength coaches, to just continue to gather more information on these players. One player who absolutely crushed the pro day was Jalen Phillips. What Phillips was able to show in that workout in terms of his explosiveness, his change of direction, just how overall athletic he was, it jumped out to scouts. And that to me, I think cemented him as a first round pick, really helped himself with a workout there in Miami. Once the pro days are complete, there's really only one piece of the evaluation process that's left. You get a chance to bring in 30 players into your facility for a visit. It might be 15 guys you're really interested in drafting in the first round. It could be 10 players that didn't go to the combine that you need to bring into your building so you can get a physical on them. It might be five players that you don't even plan on drafting, but you want to start recruiting them maybe as undrafted free agents. That's the last part of the scouting calendar. That's the last box to check. Uh, after that, you guys remember that was something, if, if I remember correctly, Ted Thompson was big on that. He would use his 30 visits, the majority of his 30 visits, on players that were probably going to go undrafted because he wanted to be able to pluck some of those guys out of that undrafted range. So it's an opportunity to interview those guys 
and start to kind of lay it on right with the recruiting process. Like, man, we could see it, you know, we could see you being a really good fit here. If they're thinking, man, Green Bay's high on me, Green Bay's high on me, they don't get drafted, and then they have two teams competing for them, maybe you leave a better impression on that one because, you know, because you brought them in as one of those visits, right? You know, Sam Shields comes to mind for me, if I remember correctly. Sam Shields was an undrafted free agent. I can't remember if Tremont Williams was or not. I think he might have been, but there's been several uh, undrafted free agents over the years that Ted Thompson was really good at finding those guys, and it starts with those visits. And, and being more strategic. Most guys, you know, I don't say most, it's it's kind of assumed across, you know, uh, you know, NFL fans that, you know, you use those top 30 visits on the top 30 prospects. Who are the top 30 on your board? That's not how teams do it now. They're really, really strategic on how they use those. That's over. You're going to gather as a scouting department, as a personnel department, from the all-star games to the combine, to the pro days, to the team visits, all that information gets pooled. You're going to have in-depth discussions and debates starting with position to make sure you get them lined up in position properly. Now you can start comparing value from position to position, player to player, which is going to eventually land you, you know, hopefully with your top 150 players, one to 150. At that point in time, once the draft comes, it's paint by numbers. One thing I think fans would be shocked to find out is just how different every team's draft board is around the league. There is very little consensus within one building, much less within all 32 buildings. When you're looking at players, I might have tremendous value for this player on our team because of what he does and what we're gonna ask him to do. You might be on another team and say, he simply doesn't fit. He's gonna be much lower on our list. So every team is trying to build their best team. The way you do that is you identify what you do well, offensively, defensively. They either have to be able to fit into what you do, or you better be willing to adapt and change and fit who they are. That's one of the keys to team building is fit. Players that might be in the second round on one team's board, they might be in the seventh round on another team's board. Because at the end of the day, if he's a great player and doesn't fit what you do, it's not gonna work. being at some of the most epic college football games in history, getting to take in a game while you're doing your job and evaluating individual players, that's outstanding. But nothing will ever trump when you've had a chance to be in a draft room, when your owner looks you right in the eye and says, do you want this player? Do you believe in this player? Will you stand on the table for this player? And you do. And you end up drafting that player. You get a chance to see him in mini camp. You get to see him in training camp. And then the real games start, and he helps your team win a football game. All those hours on the road, all those hours pouring over tape, all that background work. When that guy makes a play, wins your team a football game, it's all worth it. I love that, man. I think that is just a great segment that he did, uh, he being Daniel Jeremiah. Guys, go follow him. Um, I think it's at Move the Sticks on Twitter, if I remember correctly. He's got an awesome podcast he does with Bucky Brooks, who used to play for the Packers. Um they're just scouts at heart, and uh, they do a, a phenomenal job communicating, um, you know, basically how the scouting process works. I just think it's so important to kind of lean on those people that have, have been in those positions. You know, the old saying, if I've seen further than anyone, it's because I've stood on the, the shoulders of giants, right? And, and that sounds a little bit weird, a little bit quirky, but it's so true, man. Use other people's experience, right? Use other people's knowledge and the information they share to grow yours and, and kind of take it to another level and, and understanding the game and everything that happens in draft season and all that. I think it's so important. Uh, let's see if Chad Inc. did confirm. I think it was uh, Mano did as well. Said, yeah, Tremont was an undrafted free agent. Mano said, yeah, 38 was undrafted. Appreciate you guys. Um, let's see what else we got in the chat here real quick. Ron Sample says, is it easier to improve run blocking or pass blocking once the players in the NFL? You know, to me, it seems like technique is way, way, way more important than, than most fans understand. And this is based off of what Mike Walls said. I th- I would imagine it would be easier to improve run blocking than pass blocking. And I say that because when you talk to every offensive line, if you said, all right, you have to choose one or the other. Would you rather pass block or run block? I don't think I've ever heard an offensive lineman say, I would rather pass block than run block. When, you, when you're pass blocking, you're really playing defense. You're at the mercy of the pass rusher, and it's all technique. It's timing off the ball. 
its foot placement, its hand placement, its balance, its absorbing that punch. You're getting abused when you're pass blocking. When you get a run call, when you get a run blocking call, especially a gap call or a power call, you know that offensive lineman's like, all right, here we go. I'm, I'm going to hit this guy right now. He's been smacking me every single pass rush. I'm going to blow him off this freaking ball. I imagine it would be easier to learn run blocking than pass blocking, but I think naturally players are probably at that peak run blocking performance coming into the draft and they more hone the skills pass blocking, if that makes sense. I think it'd be easier to learn run blocking or improve run blocking, but they're probably having to work more on pass blocking, which, you know, with the Packers too, you could tell how they draft, you know, there's an old saying, and I'm sure I'll butcher it. It's like, if you want to know where someone's priorities are, look at their checkbook and look at their calendar, right? Look at their checkbook and look at their calendar. What does that mean? Where do you spend your money and where do you spend your time? That's going to tell me everything about a person. That's going to tell me what's most important in their life. If they spend the majority of their time doing stuff that's just about them, they're probably a selfish person. If you look at their checkbook and you don't see anything in there for tithing or helping anyone else or a donation or something, and it's just all about let me purchase the next thing that I want, probably a selfish person, right? That I love that old saying. I think it, it really tells a lot about a person, and, and I need to get better at that myself. I know that. If you don't have money to donate, you've got time to donate, right? And if you don't have time to donate, you're probably doing pretty good career-wise, and you got money to donate, and that's how you can make a difference in this crazy little screwed-up world that we've got. But I think with the NFL and with teams – if you focus on where are they spending their money, where are they spending their time? Think about this. Where are they spending their draft capital, right? Where are they spending their money? The highest paid position on the offensive line is left tackle, correct? Okay, that shows their priority. When, when they're drafting offensive linemen, what have the Packers keyed in on? Pass blocking over run blocking, right? That's where they're spending their money. That's where they're spending their capital. So I think that says a lot about where the teams are coming from and what's most important to them. It's pass blocking, hands down. Now, if you can get a player, if you've got three players on your board and you go, they're all equal in pass blocking, you're going to go, which one's the better run blocker, right? That's how you're going to, the tiebreaker. But if you got two players that are really good at pass blocking, one that's really good at run blocking, but he sucks at pass blocking, you're probably going to cross him off your list and look at those two pass blockers. That just – that's not my opinion. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, or, or whatever. It's it's really, really evident, at least with the Green Bay Packers, that's how they look at the offensive line and building it. So uh, hopefully that answered your question there, Ron. Uh, let's see here. Reef in the chat said, sometimes these rookies or first-year players' grade average is a good sign so they can get their confidence. Absolutely. Just that first year – recognizing, okay, they belong. They can play at this level, right? And if if a rookie comes out and can't, that doesn't mean they can't evolve into that, right, and improve into that. may take two or three years. But if you get a rookie that shows, man, he can hold his own, that's the other thing like about Carrington Valentine. You guys know I'm a big Kentucky fan. And some people hear me talk about Carrington Valentine, they probably go, man, he hates Carrington. I don't hate Carrington Valentine. I want him to pan out more than anyone, right? The fact of the matter is he graded out bad. He didn't have a good year. But you've also got to look at it and go, Carrington's a seventh-round pick, and he pretty much started every game this year, right? You had this, this circus with Jair going on with the coaches and everything behind the scenes. You end up trading Russell Douglas. Eric Stokes is injured again. And Carrington Valentine is a seventh-round pick. He, what he proved to me is, okay, he's capable of handling the pressure of being a starting corner in the NFL. Now, let's see if he can up his game, right? He graded out in the 50s. He doesn't meet that parameter of the 60s, right? Doesn't mean he can't make that jump this year. He may make a jump into the 70s. But I just want to see him play a little more fundamentally sound because watching him in Kentucky and watching him his rookie year in Green Bay, he is very he's a very emotional player, first and foremost. You see him after the play, right? He's one of those guys that he's going to talk. So he's very – I can see him kind of getting a little off focus, out of focus on what the actual assignment is, what the task is, and uh, – if they can kind of hone that in and just take a baby step forward, let's get him grading out in the mid-60s this year, right? That would be a huge step forward. And I'm not saying that Carrington Valentine shouldn't be on the roster. I'm simply saying if you can draft a corner to be a solid a solid cornerback opposite Jair Alexander that's going to step in at a 65 or, a, or who knows, maybe a 70-75 in the PFF grade, right? And, and, again, PFF isn't everything, but it's, a, it's, a, it's another metric we can use. If you do that, guess what that does for Carrington Valentine? That allows him to step back into a backup role, right, as a boundary backup, an outside corner backup, right? And 
And now he can watch two really good players and learn from them and kind of see it from a different perspective on, on the sideline too. It's not as valuable or as important as being on the field, but I'm just saying every position on this roster, you should try to improve. You shouldn't just go, well, nope, we're good there. That's not how they build teams. It's not how the NFL builds teams. Man. Definitely not. You know, it's like the whole Rasheed Walker talk. When people hear you say, hey, there, there's a chance you take a, a tackle at 25, right? Like I think someone in the chat here, let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, someone talked about him being drafted later. Right here, Reef said drafted in the later rounds, man. Like he seems pretty passionate about there. He said Tom was taken late in the draft. Uh, but was talked about as as the best lineman in the draft. That's not true, Reef. <laughs> Find me one article where someone before the draft said that Zach Tom was the best lineman in the draft. That's simply not true. But um, Ryan was big on him, but Ryan wasn't saying take him in the first round. Ryan didn't say take him in the second round or the third round, right? He was just saying, hey, this guy's got versatility. Now, here's the point. If the Packers were so high on Zach Tom, they would have taken him higher. They took him where they had him graded. So no one was seeing Zach Thomas, hey, he's going to be this stud. So you can't go into the draft just assuming and going, okay, you know, we can get an offensive lineman later. We've done it before. That's not how the draft room works. You've got, you've got grades on all these players across the board, right? And and they're, they're going to go off of those grades. Like here's another one. Marco Day says, uh, what safety in the draft, favorite pick, anyone? I've seen people talking about Tyler Newbin. There's some others that are mentioned. Let's do this. Since we're talking about offensive line and talking about the draft board, let's go to the, the 33rd draft board. It's been updated now. There's a ton of prospects on here now. I think it might be near and complete, although these will shift around a little bit. So hopefully it's zoomed in enough. I'm going to try to take it in just a touch more if it doesn't mess up my screen too bad. That might make it a little easier for you guys. Okay, yeah, so – this is their draft board, okay? I want you to notice on the on the left, and I had to scroll a little bit because it's it's a little wonky how they've got it set up. I'll scroll over and show you what I'm talking about. Notice the grades on the left side. And for those of you on the pod, we're looking at a horizontal draft board for the 3013. Seven plus is the highest grade you can get. Then it drops to 6.9. It drops to 6.8, right? 6.7. And you could go all the way down, continue to scroll down here. It goes to 6.6, 6.5, 6.4. All of these grades have a meaning. Now, I'm going to show you the grading scale real quick, okay? You can see it on the screen there. 7.0 plus, and keep in mind, the 33rd team is former a website created uh, and, and ran by former NFL executives, former NFL coaches, former NFL players. This is how the NFL looks at the draft process and evaluate talent, okay? This is their grading scale that they use. 7.0 plus is an immediate starter with all pro potential. The 6.7 to 6.9 is a strong starter. 6.5 to 6.6 is a lower end starter. 6.2 to 6.4 is a limited starter or multi-position backup. 6.0 to 6.1 is a developmental player. 5.9 to 5.9 is a backup. 5.4 is a priority free agent. Okay, so that's how they look at it. And, and you're, some of you guys are going priority free agent. So, so the lowest guys on the board are priority free agents. There's many, many, many prospects. You heard Daniel Jeremiah. How many thousands of prospects are eligible for the draft, but only 200, you know, less than 300 get drafted, right? And then you've got some, some free agency pickup. You know, there's going to be guys that are left on teams' boards. That's who they sign. That's what they go off of as far as signing their undrafted free agents. That's how that kind of plays out, right? So there's going to be many players they don't even put on their board and they're not interested in at all. So when we look at this, for example, like offensive line, if if Zach Tom truly was the best offensive lineman in the draft, then he would be where Joe Ald is right now. There's no way that Zach Tom would have made it to the later rounds if teams had him graded there. There's absolutely no way. What probably happened with Zach Tom is he was sitting down here in the 6'5 range somewhere. You know what I mean? Somewhere down in there where it's, like we said, when we go to the, the grading scale, what's a 6'5? Lower end starter. Right. Probably, honestly, Zach Thomas, probably six, two to six, four, uh, you know, a limited starter, a multi-position backup. He was high enough for the Packers to take a chance on him, but there was no way he was graded out in the top five amongst offensive tackles guaranteed. So when we look at the board this year, the, the other question was about safety, right? Let's look over at safety. Um, now again, was that should, should Zach Tom have been higher? Absolutely. He should have, but we're a hundred percent positive. He wasn't graded higher or else he would have been taken higher. That's the point. Right. So when we look at the safety position, 
Here's the top two safeties according to the 33rd team. It gets a little bit hard to see, but you can still see the grades on the left side, right? It's seven plus, six, nine, six, eight, six, seven. In the seven plus category, there's four players that grade out in the very top category. Quarterback Caleb Williams out of USC, wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver uh, Malik Neighbors out of LSU, and then you got Joe Alt tackle out of Notre Dame. Okay. That's the only four players that grade out in that seven plus category. You hop down to 6.9, you've got a Dunzi. Uh, wide receiver out of Washington, and you've got tackle Latham out of Alabama. That's the only two players in 6'9". Then you go down to 6.8. you got Drake May at quarterback, tight end Brock Bowers, tackle Fashanu, tackle Fuaga, uh, Fashanu out of Penn State, Fuaga out of Oregon State. Then you got uh, Turner, edge defender out of Alabama, Latu out of uh, UCLA, both edge defenders. And then you got cornerbacks, Kool-Aid McKinstry and, and Nate Wiggins out of Clemson. Okay, Kool-Aid McKinstry's out of Alabama. Now you get to your first safeties here, okay, and they're in the 6.7 range. So when the Packers pick at 25, there's a really, really, really good chance that both Newbin and Kinchins, who are the top safeties in this draft, there's a great chance that they're going to be on the board here, right? I don't, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I think there's a really good chance that they're going to be on the board here. The question is, how many of these other players that you have higher grades on are going to be available too? That's the big question. If you were to count it off, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 players above the category in which Newbin and Kitchens go. We got, you know, the, the past drafts would, would suggest that teams don't put a very high priority on safeties. I don't think it's the lowest priority, but it's definitely not the highest, right? So if you continue to count, what did we say? There was four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. There's going to be 28 players, right, that are in the same 6.7 or higher when the Packers pick. You do the math. That means there's going to be at least three players. There's, there's absolutely no way that you'll have a minimum, you'll have less than three players According to the 33rd team's horizontal board, if this is what Goody, Goody's board was to look like, and I can guarantee you it doesn't, but I, I put a lot of stock in the 33rd team's board. That means you're going to have three players that are in that 6.7 range. Okay. Now, Newbin and Kitchens could be gone, and those three players could be Coleman, Thomas, and Sanders. Do you take a wide receiver there? It's your best player on the board, right? You know, that's the tough part. Now, there's many mock drafts that have Newbin and Kitchens falling way down, right, in the mock drafts. So where do you place your value and do you stick to the board? If we get to that point, and, and I was just going strictly off the 33rd team's horizontal board, Newbin and Kinchins are both worth that pick if this is what Goody's board looks like. Now, if he's got Newbin and Kinchins down here in the 6-5 range, probably not going to make sense, right? Probably going to trade out of that pick. That's what we were talking about, too, about trading down potentially. But if this is how Goody's board looks, Oh, you're you're taking probably going with Newman right off the bat, right? I know I would. That's why I'm kind of leaning toward, hey, you know, it's okay to it's okay to take one of those safeties at the 25th pick because they're probably going to be gone at 41. There's a good chance of that. Now, Kinchins on some sites are falling. I don't know how real that is. After the combine, that'll kind of stabilize back out, if you will. Um, Another one too. We talked about Quinion Mitchell. He's now up in the 6.7 range. He's the third best corner, according to the 33rd team. Some people have him as the best corner now. We seen last night he was the second one taken. But Cooper DeGene keeps getting mocked to the Packers, right? The 33rd team has Cooper DeGene at uh, 6.6. So there's going to be, if this was Goody's board, in order to take DeGene, you would have to reach down a tier when you had three other players that were rated higher. If he takes DeGene at this spot, then it means DeGene is – at least one or maybe two tiers higher on their board. That's how the board's going to play out. So, again, back to the Zach Tom thing. Zach Tom was not up here. If he was, he would have been drafted really, 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 really early. And it's it's really it's a numbers game. It's about fitting these guys into where you're picking. You may look up to at 25, and both Newman and Kinchins are still there, right, and everyone else is taken off the board. And you may look up and go, let, let's say it's Newman. Kinchins, let me give you an example. Let's say it's Newbin and Kinchins and Chop Robinson are available. Now you got a tough decision because edge defender is a position on defense of tier one importance, edge defender and interior defensive lineman. If Chop Robinson or Newton are there, it's going to be hard to take. I'm sorry, if Chop, Chop Robinson or Newton, defensive tackle, is there, I think it's Jerzon Newton out of Illinois, I believe. 
if they're there with one of these safeties, it's going to be hard to pass up on one of those tier one positions of importance. Same thing with tackle. If Gotten is there and those two safeties are there, you could bet your rear end. They're going to look at it like, yeah, but tackle's a more premier position. Now, if you get one of these guys fall from a 6.8 spot like Fashanu or Fuaga, now, now you're reaching to get a position of need at safety as opposed to taking the best player available. Oh, and also it's a position of tier one importance. That's kind of how the draft rooms work. Now, when it comes to quarterback, I'll tell you this. Quarterbacks are typically drafted one tier higher than the current tier available. You know, Greg Cosell said it last year, and it really stuck with me, and it's so true, it's so important, that every year there's two drafts. There's the NFL draft, all these players being drafted, right? And then there's also a quarterback draft, right? And these guys are typically taken one tier higher than, than your their actual value because quarterback is that important, right? And what that means is even though Drake may, may be sitting at a 6.8, they're going to grade him as a 6.9, right? They're going to – when they pick, they're going to go, that's quarterback. That's totally different. Jaden Daniels is going to jump up. That's why you're seeing these guys being drafted in the top three, these three players. Now, the, the wild card for me is Penix and McCarthy. Those are the two that keep jumping around a bit, right? And why is that? Because you're willing to take a quarterback a tier or two higher because it's that important. Someone may be completely sold on J.J. McCarthy, and he get drafted with the number two pick. I don't think it'll happen, but – I wouldn't be surprised. You guys remember last year, C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud dropped because of the the uh, the cognitive uh, – whatever the testing was, the memory testing. I can't remember. It's like SI or, or IS or something like that testing. There was rumors came out that he was real bad at that, and he dropped dramatically on the board, right? Everybody was like, oh, there's no way he's going to – and he ended up getting drafted really high. Oh, by the way, he ended up being what? The best quarterback in the draft from a performance standpoint. So – that's why it's important to uh, – I don't know, man. It's, it's just important to, to kind of understand how the horizontal board works and understand where each team is coming from when it comes to, you know, how they're going to make these picks and everything. I love I love how the 33rd team's horizontal board is set up, though. Like, like if you click on Newbin, the person that was asking about safety, Newbin, according to the 33rd team, he's a 23rd-ranked player, okay, which means – they actually, even though he falls within that category of, okay, we should be able to get a pick of one of three players in this 6.7 range, he's ranked 23rd. That suggests he's going to be gone before we pick if they were to go to in order of ranking, right, which they're not going to. And the reason being is because teams will go off the tier grade. They'll draft somebody in this tier that lines up with their need. What I mean by that is let's say Newbin is 23rd, right, and let's say Sweat is 28th. And let's say the team at number 24 is picking and they have a real they have a, a legit need at defensive tackle, right? And they don't have a need at safety, even though Newbin is rated higher, they're in the same tier of talent. Basically, that 6.7 is saying all these players grade out at the same level. Now you're going to go with the position of need because it's in that current tier of talent. And uh you don't need a safety, you need a defensive tackle, if that makes sense. So again, Newbin. He's ranked 23rd, but he's the top safety. His, his grade is a 6.7. What does the grading scale say? At 6.7, that's a strong starter. Whew, sounds good to me, man. Kinchins, he's ranked 29th. He's the second graded, uh, second uh, ranked safety, right? 6.7, same exact grade. So you could, you could look at those two guys if your board lined up the way the 33rd team did. You could look at those two guys and go, which one's a better scheme fit? And you're not reaching. Now, if – Bishop is the better scheme fit, and you're going, ah, let's reach down and get Bishop because he fits our scheme better. He's overall ranked 74th, the third best safety at a 6.4. You go up to the the grading scale, 6.4, limited starter or multi-position backup. You're probably going to take your chances trying to get Tyler Newman or Cam Kitchens to fit your scheme, right, because they're the better overall player. And that's how you end up, too. I'll, I'll tell you this, when you got a position of need that you're looking to draft, the reason that teams end up taking multiple swings at it, it's not that they're like, all right, guys, we're going to go out and draft two at this position. The reason being is they've done all their work and compiled all that information, and you end up with multiple players graded out similarly. One, The chances are one of those guys are going to be a bust. That's how big of a crapshoot the NFL is, right? Last year it was Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. You found yourself in a position where you could draft both of them just in case one busted too. And it wasn't like one of these guys might bust. We better take two. It was – He's the highest on the board right now because you spent a lot of time grading out those tight ends. You probably got a better look on them, a little more information.
if that makes sense. So that's kind of how that lines up. Um, absolutely love talking draft, though, man. This stuff's a lot of fun. It always is. And I love the fact that we could kind of dive into what Daniel Jeremiah had to say there, too. Um, always, always really, really good stuff from him. So uh, let's go to the chat real quick, and then we'll get ready to wrap up. You guys just bear with me. It's, it's hard to keep up with the chat when I'm trying to show graphics and all that stuff. Uh, here, let's see um, what else we got real fast here. Make sure there's no questions, not missing any super chats. Sam. I definitely want to acknowledge those. Um, let's see. Reef says, Zach was a little undersized. The metric of Tom's size wasn't there, but his on-the-field play was. His PFF grade, if I remember correctly, Reef, his PFF grade was through the roof, wasn't it, man? It seemed like it was it was really high, if I remember right. Um, let's see here. David Mitchell in the chat said, if four players are there at 25 and the Packers really like them, all I think it would be best to trade back four or five picks to get another second or third round pick. See, that's what we did in my favorite mock. Matter of fact, I think I've still got it here. Um, let me see if I can pull it up real quick because it, it worked out absolutely perfect. Yeah, this was uh, – we used the mock draft database, David. And what we did, we got the 25 and we got a trade offer. They said, we'll give you number 29 and number 61. So we traded back four spots and picked up the 61st pick. I I ran to that trade. Oh, my God. Dude. That's like the perfect scenario. We ended up getting Kamari Lassiter, cornerback out of Georgia. Now, keep in mind, we were using the third – we were using uh, mock draft databases, draft information, obviously, right? So, by using it, Kamari Lassiter was the best player available. Let's just take a quick glance real quick while we're doing this, and let's see where Kamari Lassiter was on their board because I didn't even see so they had him in the 6.6 range. So when we took him, the way it lined up with the consensus big board, you know, mock draft database, Kamari Lassiter was in the – he was actually the top prospect available. So that would suggest that they had him in the 6.7 range as opposed to the 6.6 range, if that makes sense. So we traded back. We were able to get Kamari Lassiter. Still not a bad pick at 6.6 there, right? Um, we were able to grab him. And let's go back to the mock draft one more time. Let me get this down here where I can get to it. There we go. Um, we were able to get him. We still got Cam Kitchens at 41. We got Tyler Newbin at 58. We got Leonard Taylor, defensive lineman out of Miami. Let's see what the 33rd team said about him. It may not have been good. Let's see. It was Leonard Taylor, right? Defensive tackle, defensive lineman. Where the defensive line at? All right, Leonard Taylor. Yeah, they had him in a 6.5. Not bad. So that was lining up pretty good with the 33rd team's draft board. So you see we're getting multiple swings. That's going to reduce the, the chance of you uh, – you know, it's, it's going to increase your hit chance, right? It's all a numbers game when it comes to the draft. Uh, we got Leonard Taylor, defensive line. We got Jeremiah Trotter, Jr. This is the big wild card one here. We got Jeremiah Trotter, Jr. at 88, and then we got Junior Colson at 91. You guys know on my board, Jeremiah Trotter, Jr. is number one, and I don't have all the information in yet. It looks like, based off the information I'm seeing, he's going to sink on my board a touch. And I don't get emotionally attached to these players. One second, you'll hear me say, I really like Jeremiah Trotter Jr., but by the time the draft board is complete, I may not be on him at all, right? Because I don't get emotionally attached to the player. I'm interested in getting it right and going off of the data of the people that I trust that's evaluating the prospects. So Jeremiah Trotter Jr. at 88, Junior Colson at 91. On my board, we got the best linebacker in the draft. But when we go to the 33rd team's board, look how low they've got Jeremiah Trotter Jr., See linebackers in this column right here? Look at this. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., 5.9 is what they've got him graded at. Okay, that really, you know, I was like, hold up a minute. What do they see about him? 5.9, they're saying he's a backup player in the NFL is what they're saying. So kind of a bad pick there at 88, right? The other one, though, Junior Colson, look at that one. He's my second highest graded linebacker on my draft board. The 33rd team has him as their best linebacker. 6.6, we knocked that pick out of the park if our board lined up as the 33rd teams did, right? Then we went down to Zach Zenter, interior offensive lineman. Let's see where the 33rd team had him. Zach Zenter, they may actually have him. Yeah, there he is. Okay, so he's in the 6.4 range, okay? So he's pretty far down. They got B.B. Frazier and Von Prawn in the same same one there. You guys remember me saying I was really excited about Christian Haynes. He's my second highest graded lineman in the draft right there. He's sitting in the 6.5 range. And then, of course, Powers Johnson is my top-rated lineman. Um, got him, uh, you know, center slash guard. He's at a 6.7. They're pretty high on him. Okay, so back to the mock draft. 
I think in that one, yeah, we went Zach Zinter, then we went Vaki. I'm interested to see where they got Vaki and Phillips because we we drafted both of those guys because they had slot experience. Let's look at Vaki and Phillips real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Vaki at safety. Whoo, they got him pretty low, don't they? 6.2. What is a 6.2? 6.2 is saying limited starter or multi-position backup. Not bad for later in the draft, right? And then we have Phillips out of Kentucky. He must be way down there. Good God. He's not even on the board right now. And they may not be complete yet either. That's something else to keep in mind. They're still adding prospects, but um, they've got the majority of the, of the big-name guys already completed as far as their scouting evaluation. So there you go. Um, just wanted to kind of hit on some of that stuff. I think it's fun to, to, to look at the draft from multiple angles. I think it's important to do that. Um, we'll do us. We'll definitely get us a uh, a mock draft in again here soon. I just don't want to bombard people with it. I'm in that awkward place, gang, where – I've got some people begging for mock drafts, and I've got others saying, please, God, don't ever do another mock draft in your life. So <laughs> I want to make sure I'm, I'm giving everybody the content they're wanting, but at the same time, we want to stay balanced. I think mock drafts are important. They've got their purpose. they got their place, but we don't want to overdo it there either. So with that being said, I'm going to get out of here, guys. We're a little bit over on time. Appreciate y'all. We didn't even get to the RAS stuff, so on our next episode, we'll get to it. We also had a history segment queued up, but I'm glad we got into the, tra the draft talk, though, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, when we do get back into the history, we'll be talking about the effect of World War II on the Packers and uh, Don Hudson just absolutely dominating the 1940s as uh, Curly Lambeau's time is going to begin winding down. And uh, we'll step into that kind of that dark era of the 50s here pretty soon. There's still some really good stories in there, and there were some good players that played too. It just couldn't put it together. For me, the 50s is all about Jack Benisi, and I can't wait to hear you guys talk about him. If you guys listened to the pod last year, I did a, a whole history episode on Jack Venisi. Um, he was the architect of Lombardi's Packers. He basically was responsible for bringing in all of Lombardi's Packers for the most part. So we'll get into that later too. Probably won't be a show tonight. I may surprise y'all with one, but uh, I'm going to go out with the wife and enjoy the evening. So if I've got time when I get back, um, we'll, we'll do a show. But if not, we'll see you guys tomorrow morning for Good Morning Lambo, and then we'll be back on track to do a Saturday night show as well. Should get some information soon, too. I'm expecting some restructures and stuff like that. Hopefully that stuff will come back down the pike real soon. We also got the combine coming up on the 27th. Guys, that's in four days, right? So we got the combine right around the freaking corner, and it's going to be cool to kind of see those guys. Uh, the only thing I hate about the combine, I'll just say this, not the only thing I hate about it, but the thing that I, I dread the most it seems like every year there's a player that goes down with an injury, and I can't stand seeing it because, like, you you hear Cooper DeGene's battling the injury. He's he's not going to perform at the combine. You get players that choose, I'm not going to the combine. It's easy as a fan to go, well, I don't want them. Man. If they're not willing to work out, I don't want them. But then they go out there and they tear an ACL or something, and they lose tens of millions of dollars. You know what I mean? It's just so tough to see someone go through that kind of kind of incident where they battled their – rear ends off their entire life to get where they're at and then get get on the stage to showcase their skills and then go down with an injury man it just sucks so i'm hoping that this is the year that that doesn't happen at all because it's so hard to see but that being said we're out here guys we will see you guys and gals soon really appreciate y'all hanging out with us you're awesome uh, for those of you listening on the pod thank you for making us a part of your day as always let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pat go